Welcome back to the Der Show. We're going to talk today about the Supreme Court nine to nothing decision uh, requiring the IRS to turn over Donald Trump's uh, personal tax returns uh, to a committee. You'll hear why I think, although it was nine to nothing, it was wrong. Uh, but before we get to the Supreme Court and to Donald Trump, I'm in Israel. I'm in Tel Aviv now. And this morning, my wife and I were thinking seriously of early in the morning driving to Jerusalem. We have friends in Jerusalem and spending the day uh, there. And as probably you know, uh, this morning there were three bombs exploded in Jerusalem. One of them injured uh, close to 20 people and killed a young 16-year-old schoolboy who was at the stop waiting for his school bus, a Canadian citizen, an Israeli citizen, uh, came from uh, Russia and, and made Aliyah, emigrated to Israel, uh, was a yeshiva student, just minding his own business, trying to live his life. And he was uh, blown up and murdered um, by terrorists and, and others were seriously injured, one or two critically injured. Um, that's that's Israel. We could have been there uh, at the moment that happened. And Hamas, of course, congratulated the terrorists, the murderers of children. Hamas congratulated them. And uh, this was not uh, just a, a one off. Uh, you know, there have been a bunch of terrorist uh, activities in, in Jerusalem, particularly in the entrance to the old city where uh, one person suddenly gets very upset and pulls out a knife and stabs somebody or somebody driving a car rams it into a group of people, killing people. That's bad enough. This was extraordinarily well planned. Um, the bomb was detonated remotely, um, probably by a person different than the person who planted it. Uh, the second bomb, which hurt a few people but didn't kill anybody, was attached to a motor scooter, an electric bike. Um, and a third one was found by Israeli authorities and, and dismantled. Um, I have a theory. Um, I don't think that acts like this are done without the support and encouragement of Iran, which, of course, is the greatest exporter of terrorism in the world, maybe perhaps uh, in the history of the world. Uh, and yet uh, President Biden is thinking of uh, renewing the uh, deal, which would give them billions and billions of dollars uh, and allow them to suppress the dissent that's going on and to encourage uh, more and more terrorism. So. Uh, I hope that uh, President Biden comes to his senses and doesn't renew the uh, Iran deal. Or if he does, it has to be stronger and longer, as Secretary of State uh, promised it would be. But uh, thus far, at the moment, it doesn't look like like it is. Um, if the president does extend the Iran deal, I'm going to help bring a lawsuit against that uh, because a deal with Iran is a treaty. And last time I read the Constitution, a treaty required the consent of two thirds of the Senate. He couldn't get two thirds of the Senate, probably couldn't get a majority of the Senate, um, even if the Senate is in the hands of, of Democrats. When the Senate was previously in the hands of Democrats, he could barely get uh, a majority, certainly not, not two thirds. And so, uh, you know, I just hope that we, we don't see more encouragement of terrorism. So. As I said, Hamas congratulated this murderer of a child, and the Palestinian Authority uh, pays people. If they catch the terrorists, and if they kill them or imprison them, if the Israelis do, they get a pension. It's called the pay-to-slay policy. And when terrorists in Israel killed a young American soldier, 
Uh, some years ago, Congress passed a statute prohibiting payments from being made to the Palestinian Authority or any authority that pays terrorists to slay. So the law ought to be obeyed. I hope it does. And, you know, there's a British uh, BBC journalist now who's on BBC and praising terrorism and, and con congratulating terrorists. And he speaks with BBC. BBC complained that I shouldn't have been on uh, because I had been falsely accused of uh, sex with a young person, which has you know, obviously now been uh, undone by the, by the woman uh, admitting uh, that she now recognizes she may have made a mistake. But even so, the BBC would disqualify me from being somebody to be interviewed and, and would allow somebody who has uh, supported terrorism, congratulated terrorists. Um, uh, it, it's BBC has a lot of answering to do. And I think anybody who supports Hamas or who supports terrorism has a lot of answering to do to the family of this 16-year-old and to the family of the thousands of people, many Americans included, this kid was a Canadian, many Americans who have been murdered by, by terrorists. You know, the United States government is now going to investigate through the FBI the accidental shooting of a Palestinian journalist because she happened to be an American citizen. Are they going to investigate the killing of American citizens by terrorists? Is the Canadian government going to investigate the killing of this young 16-year-old uh, by terrorists? A single standard of justice. You need a single, single standard of justice. So I'm in Israel. I know you all wish me to be safe. Uh, we're going to go to Jerusalem, uh, probably not in the next couple of days, but uh, we can't allow a terrorist to determine our itinerary, a lot of friends in Jerusalem, a lot of government officials in Jerusalem that I want to see. I want to become more familiar with the a new government. Uh, as you know, I've been a friend of Bibi Netanyahu since he was uh, uh, a man in his, in his early 20s. And uh, um, I'd like to meet with him. I'd like to meet with other officials in the new government so I can make up my own mind and not believe what I read in the media, certainly not the New York Times, when it comes to reporting on Israel or the BBC when it comes to reporting on Israel. So I'm here to make up my own mind. Make up my own mind on the Supreme Court as well. I don't care if the decision was nine to nothing. Uh, I don't care if uh, three Trump appointees voted for it. They're wrong. Let me tell you why they're wrong. Um, tax returns are private. They're not supposed to be disclosed to anybody. And uh, yeah, there are certain exceptions. Congress did not tell the truth about what they wanted. These tax returns here, I'll, I'll, I'll read to you something. Uh, it says, the panel has been seeking Trump's records since 2019. This is the part. Saying they were essential to potential legislation relating to the IRS. Potential <laughs> legislation? Why do you need to read the specific tax returns of a particular person to see if legislation is warranted. Or you can blank out the names and ask the IRS for 100 random tax returns um, without the names being given. Of course we know why Congress, a Democratic-controlled Congress, why they want to see Donald Trump's tax returns, precisely because they're Donald Trump's tax returns. They want to find something in there that's embarrassing or potentially illegal or potentially uh, politically useful to, to their team. Uh, 
Yet the Supreme Court probably doesn't have a basis. We all know it. Every one of the nine justices sitting there knows what's going on. They don't believe in their heart of hearts that this was uh, designed to obtain material that uh, is useful to passing legislation, which is essentially what Congress is supposed to do, pass legislation. They know that the reason is much more salacious than that and much more political than that. But I guess they can't say it. And so they had to rule nine to nothing. Nine to nothing doesn't mean anything to me. Um, when the Supreme Court ruled nine to nothing against Bill Clinton, when he said he didn't want to sit for a deposition in a civil case until he finishes being president, that he's you know a busy guy. He has to decide the fate of the world. And it takes an enormous amount of time to prepare for a deposition. I know I've just been through it. Um, I had four days of being deposed by uh, David uh, Boys. Um, uh, and, and, and it takes time to prepare, e even if you're being questioned by a, a mediocre uh, a lawyer or, or a good lawyer or a terrible lawyer. It takes time. And, and, and I think the Supreme Court was wrong when it said that President Clinton had to sit for a deposition while he was acting and doing the people's business. I think most of the justices have come to agree with that now. I think if that case came up now, it would come out the other way. And I suspect over the years it will also be agreed that this nine to nothing decision uh, requiring the IRS to turn over the tax returns uh, is wrong. By the way, this is much worse than uh, having a subpoena to the president to turn over his tax returns. Because if there's a subpoena to the president or to you or me to turn over our tax returns, we could go to court and say, no, we want this redacted. We want this taken out. We don't want them to know what charities we contributed to. They don't have any business looking to see whether I contributed to a left-wing charity, a right-wing charity, a Jewish charity, a Christian charity. Uh, no business looking at that. So if it, was a if it was a subpoena to me, I'd be able to oppose it. This is not a subpoena to Donald Trump, as I understand it. It's a subpoena to the IRS. The IRS gets to turn over this material to Congress without the president being able to look at it and say, redact this, redact that. So it's the worst of all possible worlds when it comes to invasions of privacy. You'd think that the courts would impose a very, very heavy burden on anyone that wants to uncover uh, uh, tax returns. I think I mentioned the other day that I was the victim of a violation of the secrecy of my tax returns. Um, back in the day when Larry Bird was playing for the Boston Celtics, uh, I got a call from the U.S. Attorney's Office saying somebody in the IRS, an IRS agent, but he was not authorized to look at personal tax returns. He went online and looked at my tax returns and Larry Bird's tax returns and uh, the tax returns of half a dozen other people. I think Bob Kraft, who is the owner of the Patriots, he did it for his own, you know, personal voyeuristic pleasures, I think. And but he was prosecuted. Uh, that's how sacred we hold our tax returns to be. And yet Congress coming up with some phony excuse, which is utterly unpersuasive. Uh, gets to see President Trump's tax returns. Will it make any difference? Uh, probably not, because the Republicans uh, will take control of the House of Representatives on early January, and they'll probably cancel that request. And the question, from a practical point of view, is will um, President Trump's lawyers be able to postpone uh, the IRS turning these over? Uh, probably not, because 
they're not the ones turning them over. Uh, it's the IRS turning them over. And the IRS lawyers will probably say, turn them over tomorrow, turn them over the next day. After all, there's no further appeal after the United States Supreme Court. And once they're turned over, Congress is supposed to keep them confidential. Do you believe that? Do you believe that if the Democratic Congress found embarrassing material in Trump's tax returns, do you believe for one second that the Beast or Politico or the New York Times won't have it leaked to them? Of course they wouldn't. The same thing would happen in a Republican-controlled Congress. Congress is the house of leaks. Congress is just, that's their middle name. Uh, if, if the Congress people themselves don't leak it, the staff members leak it. Um, no one is surprised when Congress leaks, when the Supreme Court leaks. That's a big surprise. And we've now had one verified leak, obviously, the decision overturning Roe versus Wade, and another alleged leak the New York Times had a story about, Alito uh, possibly leaking. Again, it's the New York Times, so treat it with the credibility it deserves. And Alito has categorically denied it, but that's not the point. The point is we're shocked when the there's a leak in the Supreme Court, but nobody would even, even uh, blink an eye if somebody said Congress leaked something. Oh, yeah, what else? Man bites dog, dog bites man. Um, we're shocked. We're shocked. There's gambling in Casablanca. We're shocked. We're shocked. There's leaking on Capitol Hill. So uh, if the president has his taxes turned over secretly to uh, Congress, it's going to be leaked. And then maybe the Supreme Court will reconsider for the future. Once they know that Congress can't be trusted to keep uh, tax returns of presidential candidates who were running against the um, uh, candidate uh, who there's a majority in the House on the side of that candidate, once they realize that, maybe they'll realize how mistaken they were and that they weren't mistaken in their nine to nothing uh, decision. And um, one Good thing is it's a nine to nothing decision by the Supreme Court. Uh, that's rare these days. Usually they're five to four, six to three. But again, there was a nine to nothing decision in the in the Clinton uh, case. And, you know, it may be that technically, technically, the Supreme Court, because of the separation of powers and the checks and balances, can't really write an opinion saying, you know, Congress says they're looking at this in order to legislate. We don't believe it. We really don't believe it. I, I just don't think you're going to get the Supreme Court to say it. You're going to get the Supreme Court to think it, but I don't think you're going to get the Supreme Court to say it. So probably the tax returns will be revealed. Look, I think Donald Trump should have revealed his tax returns when he ran for president. I wouldn't be opposed to a law saying when you run for president, you, you uh, waive your right of privacy of your tax returns. I'd be in favor of, uh, of such a law. And I think a good reason for voting against President Trump, not a great reason, but a reason for voting against him is that he was the first president in modern history not to disclose his tax returns. Uh, um, he says the reason was that they're still being audited, but you can still disclose returns that are being audited with a little note on top saying subject to being audited. Or you can, you can also present it redacted so uh, your charitable contributions aren't identified and other Medical things might not be identified, uh, but I think there's every good reason for a president to be required by law to turn over their tax returns. But 
you know, the law is different because that would apply to every president. Whereas this decision, does it apply to every president? Does it apply only to a president who is being investigated by a congressional committee dominated by people of the opposing party? These are the kinds of issues that I think Americans uh, will continue to debate and the issue will not be resolved by a nine to nothing decision of the Supreme Court. By the way, the decision was a preliminary decision. It's not a final, final decision, but it probably won't get a final decision because Congress uh, will be in the hands of uh, Republicans. And at that point, these uh, very partisan um, uh, subpoenas uh, will be dropped by a very partisan Republican House. Um, but don't count on Congress to do justice. That's supposed to be the job of the courts. And I would think the Supreme Court could have done a, a more careful um, and realistic analysis of why Congress was seeking these uh, tax returns and perhaps uh, um, a decision saying the tax returns have to be given first to the taxpayer who has to be given the opportunity to propose redactions and only then can it be turned over. But uh, that's not the way the decision came down. It's a very short decision. Uh, it doesn't tell you very much. There were no dissents and uh, not much of a description of uh, of the facts. So uh, we have to wait and see what the, what Trump's lawyers will do. And one thing I guarantee you, if the tax returns are turned over, we'll know what's in them. At least we'll know anything that's embarrassing or negative because it will be leaked. That is the first law of Congress. If it can be leaked, it will be leaked, particularly when it doesn't involve you know, national security or the names of spies. I'm not suggesting that stuff gets leaked. But anything that is as political as a tax return, it's going to get leaked. Okay, so let's turn to oh, one more thing just before we get to that. Um, so the Justice Department today, um, uh, it was announced, wants to interview Vice President, former Vice President Pence, and get his take on what happened uh, in the run-up to January 6th and on, on January 6th, um, uh, former President Trump may plead executive privilege as to what Pence would say, um, and the Biden administration says we can overrule Trump's claims of executive privilege. I don't believe that's the case. So that case may come to the Supreme Court as well. I was a little confused by the story in the papers today about the Justice Department trying to speak to Pence. Uh, I thought there was a special prosecutor, and I thought the special prosecutor was in charge of making the decisions now about the nature of the investigation, and yet it's the Justice Department that seems to be uh, negotiating with Pence about whether he will testify. So that has to be explained. Maybe I'm missing something, uh, but uh, you know I'm pretty knowledgeable about most of this stuff, and so I don't get why it's not the special prosecutor who has to make the decision whether or not it's appropriate to sit down and talk to Pence and what will happen if Pence invokes uh, executive privilege or the president, former president, invokes executive privilege on behalf of Pence. Stay tuned. We'll be discussing that at some future time. Okay. Letters. I got letters. I got plenty of letters. Okay. I agree with you about the disparity in sentences. Meeting out, this is uh, the uh, Theranos case, especially the violent crimes. But this is not to say you're correct. A lot of these letters continue that way. In questioning Elizabeth Holmes, 
11-year sentence. She willfully committed fraud on health-related machines. If I'm not mistaken, can you ever imagine what the erroneous blood test results may have caused patients in terms of wrong diagnosis and maybe even necessary financial losses? That's a good, good point. But it's not relevant to this case because the jury acquitted her of health-related issues. As far as I can tell from the record of this case, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but the sentence in this case was imposed simply because of fraud on investors. So it wouldn't matter if they were selling widgets or pornographic films or uh, cake uh, or blood testing uh, machines. A fraud is a fraud. The count of defrauding the government, potentially the military, and really having problems medically, she was acquitted on that. Now, there are some judges, not all, but some judges who take into account acquitted conduct. All right, the jury was wrong. They acquitted him. Yeah, but, but I'm going to consider that. Now, that's dead wrong. When you have a jury acquitting somebody, that's the end. There's been a judicial determination that the person is not guilty. Not that he's innocent, but he's not guilty. And I don't think judges should ever, ever be allowed to take into account conduct for which the defendant was acquitted. But the law today is a little different. And there is permissiveness. And uh, I don't know whether the judge took into account the acquitted conduct or not. But if the judge didn't, then the issue of blood testing and all of that um, was not really the central point in the sentencing. The central point was, on the other hand, just the defrauding of extremely wealthy, sophisticated investors, some of whom may have lost, you know, a tenth of a percent of their of their net worth on what they had to know was a speculative, uh, a speculative investment. Okay, this is a cute one. The Hall of Fame, I talked yesterday about uh, why I thought Pete Rose should be in the Hall of Fame, the greatest hitter in history and the greatest hustler in baseball history. And this guy makes a good point. The Hall of Fame stopped being the Hall of Fame when it started taking in writers and announcers. I agree with that. I also think it shouldn't take in managers. Now, if you want to consider a person like Gil Hodges, and he was recently admitted a great hero. I love Gil Hodges. I rooted for him. My uh, friends of mine used to go on a bike and stop in front of Gil Hodges' house. He wasn't home. We would just laugh. Um, you know, when he was admitted to the Hall of Fame, he was admitted largely because of his baseball prowess. I remember when he hit four home runs in a game. But he was also a manager and a very successful manager. I can see combining uh, skills as a manager with skills as a player. But, you know, if you get somebody who's just a manager, I don't know if they belong in the Hall of Fame of baseball players. Certainly writers uh, do not. Maybe there should be a special Hall of Fame for baseball writers, special Hall of Fame for baseball um, uh, managers. And then a special Hall of Fame for baseball fans. I would apply. I am a real baseball fan. I mean, I started the year Jackie Robinson came up to the major leagues. And when I moved to Boston, I don't think I missed an opening game in, I don't know, 45 years or a postseason playoff or, you know, a good game. I was, I threw out the first pitch um, on my 70th birthday. It was a strike. So there's a hall of fame for fans. Hey, I'm applying, but I don't think there should be holes of fame for anything, but the ball players themselves. So I'm sure there'll be a lot of disagreement about that. Okay. Um, here's a point. Um, he, this writer says, we shouldn't take, it's too long a letter to read. 
But we shouldn't take into account the percentage of money that's been lost um, if it's 1% of a person's net worth versus, you know, the example I gave, two people. Uh, one investor is worth $100 million and he loses a million dollars, so he loses 1%. The other investor is worth $100,000 and he loses $10,000, so he loses 10%. Under the guidelines, you get a harsher sentence for taking the 1% more money than the 10%. And this guy writes back and says, you know, that's a slippery slope. Start doing that, then you have to take into account the impact it has on particular victims. Well, we do have what's known as victim impact statements. And so there has been a movement to take into account um, what effect it has on, on victims. That's mostly true of violent crimes, but it might also be true of, um, of crimes involving uh, defrauding investors. Interesting, interesting debate. If I were teaching, that would be an interesting question to talk about in class. Okay. Um, oh, this is a nice one. Um, this is very personal, but I, I tried to call the number and I couldn't, so I have to do it on the show. Um, Alan, I believe you knew my father, Herman Wook, who passed away three years ago. I knew Herman Wook. Uh, he was a great, great writer, uh, Marjorie Morningstar and the Kane Mutiny. And we had a house right next to his for several years on Fire Island. And then I had an apartment right next to him in Israel at Michigan Ocean and him. And we used to go and have lunch at least a day a week. So I really, really liked Herman Wook when he died a few years ago, at I think age 100 or something like that. And this is his son. Um, who's trying to get a hold of me. And um, I try to call him, the number didn't work. So try to get me, send me an email, be happy to meet with you and reminisce and talk about your wonderful, wonderful father, one of the greatest uh, writers of modern American history. Okay. Uh, how can you support a child killer for president like Biden, the supposed Catholic? You are just a Trump hater, you old goat. So, you know, it's so interesting. I get it from both sides. If I don't do everything that supports Trump, I'm a Trump hater and an old goat. And if I defend Trump on the floor of the Senate, I'm a Trump lover on Martha's Vineyard and an old goat. Um, you know, in America, let's stop doing that. Uh, I'm not a Trump lover. I'm not a Trump hater. And I'm certainly not a Trump voter. I'm a Democrat and I'm going to continue to vote a Democrat. But, um, okay, cut the nonsense. Let's talk about your sentence. Would 110 years in a Siberian prison be too much for a Zionist pedophile criminal? I love that. The Zionist credophile criminal. You are a decrepit generic aberration who's on his way to hell. So stop, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. Um, as you know, the woman who had originally accused me uh, who was, when she said she accused me, she said she was an adult well above the age of, of, of consent. Um, so the word pedophile never came into being, but now she said she now recognizes that she may have made a mistake in, uh, in identifying me and she's dropped her lawsuit. So you can still call me a Zionist, but cut the word pedophile. If I had, you know, time and energy, I would probably bring a lawsuit against you and take all your money away and and if anybody does call me a pedophile in public, I will sue them and take all their money away. But I'm not going to waste my time on a, a bigot anti-Semite like that who uh, uses the word Zionist as, as, a, as a euphemism for 
Jew and his anti-Semitic raves. Um, um, okay, and another question, which is very similar to the one I read before. It's not about fraud. It's about harming people's lives from blood tests that didn't work. So she should get a lot more time. I would agree if she had been convicted of that. And, you know, I didn't read the whole transcript of the case, so I don't know why she wasn't convicted of that. I have to tell you, I was very surprised. I thought the verdict would come out the other way. I thought she'd be convicted of creating a problem with blood testing that could really have hurt people and that she wouldn't be convicted of defrauding rich, sophisticated uh, investors who went to the equivalent of Las Vegas to throw a few million bucks around because, you know, she was charming and articulate and, and they fell for it. But, uh, but the judge didn't, didn't do that. Um, okay. Professor, what are your thoughts if the Republicans in the House of Representatives were to vote to censure President Biden rather than impeach him after an investigation for corruption or maladministration? So that's a good question. They, that question was asked about Trump as well. Congress does have the power to, uh, nothing happens to the person, but he does have the power to, to censure. And there's nothing in the Constitution about it. So it's a non-act. But if there were a fair investigation, there hasn't been a fair investigation up to now. I can't imagine how you could censor President Biden. I don't think he's done anything censurable or wrong. But uh, the Constitution has very clear criteria, treason, bribery, other high crimes and misdemeanors. But there's nothing in the Constitution about censoring. All right. Uh, lots, of lots of interesting issues. Um, terrorism, Vice President Pence, tax returns. Um, write to me, and uh, next week I'll read your letters, and we'll see what the news has over the next few days. See you next week.